what's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind coming at you per usual from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really, we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right. The best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay? For free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making zero dollars on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right. So go to CryptoRevolution.com today and get your free copy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I hope everybody is just having a delightful little morning, noon, and or night. Wherever you guys are in the world, just know that you're in the right place. Uh, Pizza Mind is not in the right place because he is not here in the studio with me today. Uh, He is back in Dallas uh, with some of our partners and he's working his little tail off there. Um, but today, I get the privilege of being joined by Evan Fung, who is the CEO and founder of a fund called Tapestry Capital, or TapCap for short. Evan, welcome to the show. Hey, Bryce. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, really happy to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about TapCap, just for starters. Um, what kind of investing do you do? And have you always been full-time crypto or were you coming from traditional markets before that? Yeah, that's a great uh, great question and a wonderful place to start, Bryce. So my background, um, and hopefully the, the cypherpunk OGs don't hold it too much against me, is from traditional finance. Um, I've been based in New York for a little over 10 years now and originally started off my career doing investment banking and then working at a couple of hedge funds um, in the long-short equity strategies uh, here in New York, some of the larger multi-managers that, that you would have heard of. Uh, I've been actually focused on Tapestry Capital for a little over a year now. And um, you know, Tapestry Capital does focus specifically within the world of digital assets, uh, mostly because I still think there is a large absence of managers and investors in the space that do have prior institutional buy-side experience. So mm. what I've really um, been focused on is just building that initial track record and the repeatable processes that take a while to figure out, especially um, as you probably know, doing research and separating fact uh, from fiction hype is uh, quite a bit harder to do in the world of cryptos as opposed to something like stocks, which have more um, traditional reporting requirements, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And in even beyond just the reporting requirements, like the fact that we can't even get these is pretty tough. But I mean, even at a more fundamental level, the valuation techniques uh, are very, very sparse in the crypto markets. I mean, you don't have PE ratios. Um, you don't have cash flows. It's it's a very interesting, like how, as a fund manager, like how do you uh, really think about valuing uh, an asset fundamentally? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just a precautionary statement in the sense that uh, whatever I say is not necessarily investment advice, rather just background and biographical information that I'm volunteering. Um, I think valuation is almost a dirty word when it comes to the world. Of crypto. <laughs> to your point, Bryce, right? It's, um, it's not like a company that has a stream of cash flows that one can discount at a subjective rate or discuss and disagree about particular growth rates. Um, there's a lot more reflexivity and psychology that I think are, um, you know, I, honestly, one of the obstacles to more mainstream institutional support and adoption within the asset class. I think as time has progressed, there are better attempts, uh, specifically maybe within the larger cap cryptos like Bitcoin to at least um, look at some uh, metrics that are a little bit tied to the overall activity on chain, whether it's, you know, active addresses or some of the realized value metrics or um, transaction value-based multiples that give a little more insight into how people are um, maybe using some of these public open blockchains. But, you know, I think I, I agree with what a lot of people generally say in this space in the sense that speculation is still uh, one of the larger use cases, not the majority use case. But that's not to say um, that it's a completely circular logic because I think ultimately speculation uh, for at least the higher quality assets that I do think ultimately will have legs depends on um, the underlying you know, adoption and usage. So speculation does ultimately, I think, require something that's tangible in terms of the, the asset class or, or a specific asset and how a, an addressable market is pursued. And you know, there are a lot of different things that people are trying. I think one of the beauties of the digital asset space that I really enjoy is uh, whatever you can think of, um, whether it's a utility token or some of the more competitive um, use cases that are trying to be global money um, in a permissionless way. Uh, somebody's doing something unique. And I think over the course of time, uh, hopefully the markets will get a little more rational, even though at times it seems like that's not necessarily progressing at a steady clip. I think it probably grows more in fits and spurts. Um, and I think just to, to conclude that point uh, for background for, for your audience, you know, we're talking kind of in mid-January where there, there has been a lot of volatility. Um, so you know, that's both good and bad. And it does take a little bit of a different emotional um, preparation uh, ahead of time to, to, to weather this is certainly a lot different than stocks. Yeah, that's that's for dang sure. I mean, we'll see, you know, double digit drawdowns intraday, uh, closing at double digit gains. And, you know, the volatility here is just unlike anything. Um, so, so really, like, you know, f from the average consumer's perspective, you know, the people that are listening to the show aren't your traditional, you know, hedge fund managers. It's, you know, uh, your, your average Joe, more or less, guys like me. Um, what's the average consumer supposed to do in this market? Uh, is there a good, like, investment strategy? Yeah, that's a great question, Bryce. Um, I think what is ultimately my answer to that is, I, th I think at the end of the day, there are ultimately going to be um, a few protocols and coins that capture the majority of the kind of incremental inflows coming into the space. Um, and, and related to that, you know, something that we've noticed and continue to see is just the correlation that most other digital assets have to, um, you know, I guess the king Bitcoin BTC. So um, I think really depending on people's risk appetite, it's a couple of pretty basic decisions. Maybe the first one is if they are interested in um, having some exposure to the asset class, I think it wouldn't be incorrect to manifest that or, or manifest that through a you know simple kind of BTC-based 
uh, dollar cost averaging longer term hold period, if that is sort of the level of comfort that they have um, achieved through their research. Uh, you and I talked a little bit earlier about how difficult it is to separate fact from fiction. That's already pretty tricky for even the large cap, you know, call it top 10 coins. I think when you start looking outside of that, it becomes really difficult to a, you know, do the research in a way that makes you feel like you have a differentiated view, but then B, um, coming to an understanding of when or how the rest of the market will catch up to you, right? Even if if you're right, you're shouting in a vacuum, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to profit from an investing perspective. So I think those two challenges make it a, a, you know quite difficult for someone that's maybe not full-time or not an OG um, to, to really uh, decide to venture out of maybe the top um, 10 or 20. So uh, as, as silly as it is for me to kind of um, recommend maybe uh, the, the person that dabbles to take a more passive or uni asset allocation in the space, I, you know, I think that is probably the way to go for the majority of people. And then, you know, sizing is more a matter of um, asset kind of appetite and risk appetite relative to one's own uh, financial situation and sort of what, what types of goals people ultimately have. Um, I, I think maybe to conclude this point, I would say, uh, what I do not recommend, or I think is, is a way to kind of get self-wrecked is, is ultimately if you're just um, getting excited, but don't necessarily have upside or downside price targets for whatever positions you ultimately are putting uh, on. And I would assume most people are probably looking to long over a multi-year period because um, you know I, I would imagine the people listening to your podcast are a little self-selected for maybe secular bulls. And I would put myself in that camp. Um, which is not to say, you know, there aren't going to be winners and losers. I think one of the reasons that I do believe in taking, you know, at least over the last year or so, um, my full kind of focus and applying it to this space is because I do think ultimately, um, you know, there's still a lot of mispricings. Um, yeah. A lot of things are getting swung around just by how Bitcoin has traded. But I think over time, um, there will be more dispersion. And from uh, from my perspective as a, you know, former professional investor, um, I, I think that will result in opportunities for people to take the right sides of those trades as the market gets a little more rational instead of uh, some of the crazy things you and I see these days. <laughs> do, you, do you think that we're about to uh, enter into, or perhaps we've already entered into that secular bull market? I mean, aside from, you know, risk on assets in this traditional stock market, you know, U.S. equities breaching all-time highs, all that kind of stuff, we're also seeing uh, the crypto markets start to turn. And even we're seeing the altcoin markets uh, start to reverse their, you know, th- almost three year long downtrend against Bitcoin. We're starting to see, you know, coins mm-hmm. like Dash, uh, Skyrocket, um, right. Tezos has been having a great, uh, great, well, they had a great end of the year, but not a great start to this year. Um, but anyhow, lots of coins are starting to flex strength against Bitcoin. Do you think that this is a trend that is just now unfolding or like, where are we in this market? Yeah, I think at this moment in time where we've seen, to your point, Bryce, Bitcoin dominance come in a little bit, um, reminiscent of the starts of past alt seasons. Um, I think it is fair to say uh, whoever is participating in the market at this moment um, appears to have a greater risk appetite than two to three weeks ago. Um, I find myself agreeing with some of the other maybe macro investors uh, in the space that pointed to, uh, you know, kind of the unique dynamics of the American military action resulting in Bitcoin correlating pretty closely with gold and then decoupling a little bit more recently, I think as that 
narrative itself caught friction and, and drove maybe net inflows from potentially new sources of capital or people that were uh, sidelined before to come in. And then as a result of that risk on, I think initially um, seen some traction in Bitcoin over the last few days, we, we've seen that uh, diversify further and um, price has appreciated, especially for some of the coins that are a little less liquid. Um, you know, There are a couple that I'm thinking of that maybe have gotten delisted over the last six months, but nevertheless, uh, I trade on a few venues and have really, um, you know, kind of popped over the last day or so, um, you know, separate even from any fundamentals. But um, at the same time, it, it the, you know, fundamentals are, uh, one man's fundamental is another man's tr- uh, trash or, or vice versa, <laughs> right? It's, it's really hard to, to point that out. But I guess I would just say it does feel like people are risking on. Um, I think for, for me, it's still TBD, whether that's new money coming in, or uh, maybe some people just um, deploying dry powder that they had stocked up over the course of the last last six months' drawdown. Um, but, but you know, we'll see over 2020, I think, whether or not, uh, you know, Bitcoin ultimately um, delivers on sort of the, the hype of the, the having is probably one of the major factors that will drive risk appetite for the alts as well. Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With Copy Trader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com slash crypto101. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's funny, my... um my girlfriend just got back from this work event and she was telling everybody about, you know, crypto and the book that we just released. And, and she was like, Hey, I heard Bitcoin is actually doing really well this year ever since the Iran stuff started going wacky. And like, (laughs) she, she, you know, she doesn't know much about crypto. She doesn't follow it, you know, at all, but it's just funny that, you know, people are starting to attribute the price rise of Bitcoin to the Iran geopolitical uncertainty and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that that narrative, like I know you had just mentioned it, that's kind of why it just came to mind. Like, is that just narrative fitting or do you think there's actually something going about here? Yeah, the answer is I think it's both. So one of the really tricky parts about um, investing in crypto is the lack of general uh, availability of data and sort of the psychology driven trading action, especially with how nascent the space is, um, does mean I think there are times where we look to fit a narrative in hindsight uh, versus maybe being completely honest with ourselves. And um, I think that kind of is really adjacent to another point uh, where I think ultimately trying to decide the difference between a good and a bad investment process is really how rational one can be. So um, I think for the Iran narrative, it is something that um, there there is at least some data that supports uh, that being one of the drivers of sort of uh, Bitcoin's at least, you know, presence in the news, if not um, the kind of net appreciation price. Um, I think some people on crypto Twitter have drawn pretty interesting charts where initially, you know, Bitcoin lagged a little bit behind gold for some of the earlier uh, instances where uh, it looked like 
uh, military intervention was was stepping up. And then, you know, a couple of hours later, as, as we got more developments, Bitcoin followed a little bit more closely behind whatever um, gold was doing and ultimately uh, sold off a little bit as, as Trump talked about de-escalating almost in lockstep with gold. I, I think that's, you know, that's what the data does show from a price perspective. Now, whether that is sort of just correlation or causation is, um, you know, really hard to prove since we only have one instance of the universe and there's no way to isolate the variable uh, necessarily beyond just keeping an eye on it for um, for the future, right? There's no way to A-B test the universe, but uh, we probably will get more data points, especially as this year progresses and events like the U.S. Um, election. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply take place, I think that would be something that's interesting to, to keep an eye on, even separate from the having in the more crypto-specific catalysts. Certainly, in my mind, I think um, the, the aspects of politics that are worth keeping an eye on include not only the general election, but then some of the regulatory uh, elements that I think are still holding back, um, certainly speculation, but also adoption in the U.S. And I would actually argue one of the larger um, headwinds that if removed uh, could get people to be a little more positive. People that uh, you know sit in seats like the ones I used to sit in uh, at, on the institutional buy side. Yeah, I think that's a perfect point to transition over to, um, like the regulatory environment currently, um, and how you see it evolving over the next couple of years, and kind of just paint it in the context of you know a pathway to institutional adoption and ownership of digital assets. Yeah, I think to level set, I you know my senses from talking to people uh, both in the space full time and some of my former colleagues is there's still a lot of um, I would say reticence or hesitation for people to take on what's ultimately a little bit of career risk 
in terms of sticking out their necks to maybe advocate for a little bit of exposure, at least at the fund or manager level. Um, this probably applies both to you know, traditional allocators like endowments and pensions, but also um, you know, active managers like the mutual funds and certainly the hedge funds that I worked at. Uh, the people that you know, I think are paying attention may be dabbling personally, but um, with just all the uncertainty around you know, AML, KYC, some of the um, European um, you know, uncertainty around the new uh, anti-money laundering kind of five AMLD regulations, not to mention within the US, um, you know, the SEC's classification of security tokens and selective enforcement, uh, along with uh, uncertainty on the tax treatment side for forks at the IRS and even the lack of the minimus exemption, I think are all things um, that really make it hard for people to answer why now in the affirmative versus just waiting and seeing, right? Nobody ever uh, lost their job by being the second one in the door. But I think, you know, uh, for some people, this was the right decision because imagine if they got their fund to, you know, allocate a little bit in at 12,000 in June, along with the FOMO or some of the um, plus token driven inflows and having to explain why Bitcoin was at, you know, 7,000 and change in, in December for a while, I think would have been, maybe one of the last conversations somebody would have had at the firm that they worked <laughs> at, at the time. So I totally understand um, not everybody is in the same position to kind of take on that level of risk uh, within an organization or for themselves. So I don't fault them for that. I, I think it's more just um, if crypto grew by anything other than fits and spurts, I think that would actually challenge some of the, uh, the cens- uh, sorry, the decentralized and censorship resistant narrative that I think ultimately is part of the multi-year and multi-decade bull case. Um, you can't really believe that adoption can be forced um, and also believe in some of the broader promises that Bitcoin and other large uh, open permissionless blockchains promise. Very well said. Um, what, what do you kind of think, You know, aside from regulatory headwinds, what are some near-term risks for our industry? Yeah. So aside from regulatory, I think um, there are a couple of I guess the word would be systematic challenges that we have yet to face that um, could be you know, black swan events. I think something that um, I think carries a certain amount of risk is just the increased focus on DeFi. I mean, granted, we've had issues with um, kind of decentralized protocols blowing up in the sense of you know, the DAO hack or some of the parity-based um, issues in the past, but I think we really haven't seen that happen with uh, some of the more um, I guess the newer DeFi-based protocols, whether it's you know Maker or Uma or, or some of the larger you know Uniswap-type um, tools that are attracting a fair amount of liquidity versus centralized solutions, but I think have yet to be truly battle-tested. And I know you know on the on the edge um, cases, there are times where maybe there are some um, opportunities for smaller funds to kind of front-run other market makers and, and earn a little bit of alpha. But I'm talking about you know kind of catastrophe level hacks or just smart contracts breaking and stranding funds that are locked up that um, I don't I don't have any reason to believe uh, to be clear I don't have any reason to believe that that is possible but I think if that were to happen um, that would be something that would certainly set the space back um, months if not a year to um, you know and, and in that same kind of level of real risk I would say um, you know an exchange hack of somebody like coinbase which so far, has remained above it all, um, you know, knock on wood, would be something that really challenges uh, adoption and interest in exposing, um, you know, real assets to the space simply because they're viewed as a gold standard. And I think, 
if you don't really have that to point to, I, I don't necessarily know um, how people will be able to get to the level of comfort required to take a chance on something that's already, you know, fairly risky and essentially venture style in risk and return. Yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, Coinbase is, you know, even when Binance uh, got hacked for, I think, maybe $40 million or something, yeah. even though it was only 1% of their, you know, net worth, it totally was a shock to the industry. And it has, you know, not only lasting trauma, but, you know, it jeopardizes your trust in the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly, I remember seeing the alert. Uh, this was, uh, you know, a little under a year ago, but um, just in that moment, not even knowing where, you know, the floor is uh, to right. argue about the reflexivity and the more difficult fundamental analysis that um, one can do in this space. I think that also adds to the, the, I guess, higher risk, but then ultimately, right, the higher risk, uh, sorry, the higher return potential for people that are putting capital to work in this space. They kind of go hand in hand. So um, I guess, you know, you, you, you do need to uh, risk manage accurately and certainly emotionally manage as well, since it's, uh, you know, these are 24 seven markets. And, um, you know, personally, that's been one of the larger challenges uh, over the last year as somebody that has been full-time uh, for less time than they've been looking at it as more of a part-time hobby. I think part of the difficulty of the transition has been just trying to step away from the monitors from time to time, um, knowing that you maybe have the right composition of the book, but then um, being disciplined enough to just sort of let your stops speak for themselves as opposed to over trading. I think that's probably something maybe newer people uh, make the mistake of more often than others um, specifically, right? You don't necessarily have to be in the market at all times. And I would say before you consider that market buy or you know, a limit sell, uh, think about who else is on the other side of that. And I think the more you expose yourself, unless you're um, you know, very sure of what you're doing, you, you kind of risk being a taken advantage of just sort of given how uh, things tend to whip around in the space. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you actually brought up market reflexivity. It's it's kind of one of the topics we like to cover here a lot. Because mm -hmm. um, when I think of reflexivity, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like higher prices beget higher prices and lower prices beget lower prices. Um you know, because people don't really know how to value these things. And so, you know, when people, you know, for instance, when my mom uh, wants to buy Bitcoin, she wants to buy it when it's pumping and, you know, it's above $10,000 and everybody's right. talking about it in the news. And then she buys it and then it crashes and she goes, oh, well, why'd it crash? Okay, I'm going to sell on the way down. So it's like, you know, could you talk a little bit about that phenomenon? Sure. Um, I think there are a couple of different causes. Um, I, I think, one of the ones that's uh, a little bit in the background, but I think still important to talk about is the re reflexivity as it relates to just the overall supply and the miner behavior, right? Generally, miners have, uh, in addition to the variable electric, uh, electricity costs, you know, fixed costs in terms of the actual cash and, uh, sorry, cash and depreciation of the equipment that they have. So uh, generally, when prices are higher, they have to sell less, and that ultimately re re reduces the amount of supply coming in. But at the same time, um, when prices are lower, at least the miners that are, that are at their marginal cost of production uh, generally have to sell more as a percentage of kind of the, the block rewards that they get. Um, so that already contributes, um, you know, a real level of supply and demand reflexivity. But then in addition to that, I think the psychological reflexivity is uh, fairly massive in the absence of real um, fundamental underpinnings. Now, I would set aside Bitcoin and some of the other, um, I guess, cryptos that are targeting that um, global money um, as, uh, addressable market versus some, um, some some of the others that are maybe 
a little more speculative in nature, or um, maybe tokens that are ultimately, um, you know, trying to capture value from a user base that is still really, really small. Um, I was actually just having the conversation with somebody uh, last night about, um, you know, we were sort of sharing our thoughts about some of these uh, utility token networks that for now, you know, they'll go unnamed, but there are certainly a few that are, um, were at their peak, you know, being valued at more than uh, a million or sometimes 10 million, um, you know, US dollar equivalents for each active user. And they only had a couple hundred or thousand active users that um, weren't even being monetized at that point, but were being valued uh, as if they were you know, ultimately more profitable, had a lower cost of acquisition than some of the large, you know, well-known internet services businesses like Twitter, um, et cetera. So I think, you know, the space is still growing and still nascent, but there's certainly a few examples out there where I, I think um, hopium is still pretty alive and it's made a little <laughs> bit easier uh, by the lack of liquidity for some of these, right? Um, you know, if you have a kind of venture-backed token and there is a fair amount of market making and price support, it not, may not necessarily trade at um, what is ultimately fair value just because uh, some of the larger funds may be incented to keep their marks, um, especially if they're liquid tokens, at, at a higher level than um, maybe what it would actually be if they were to kind of. Um, be a little more realistic at the expense of kind of the LPs uh, capital accounts at the end of the year. But that's kind of a, a longer conversation. I, I think most, mostly um, I personally spend uh, the bulk of my time looking at the top 20 or 30 liquid coins and tokens. So I don't necessarily feel I'm the best person to speak to some of the others that are a little earlier stage or ahead of mainnet main launch, et cetera. No, I, I think that's great. And that's definitely one of my um you know, big, big things is making sure that if you're, you know, tinkering around in the altcoin space, you really don't look below the top 50 or so just because they're mm -hmm. so illiquid and, you know, they're hard to get in and out of positions. So that that's where I like to play as well. But, you know, one of the things that you mentioned um, was DeFi and, you know, that was a big trend that unfolded. We almost got a billion dollars locked up in DeFi smart contracts and applications and stuff. What's another big trend that you see unfolding during 2020? Yeah, that's a great question. I think my answer is actually um, honestly going to be a little boring, but um, you know, speaking the truth as I see it, I think one of the bigger trends is really just um, increasing consideration um, of Bitcoin and other kind of similar proof of work Gen 1 uh, public open blockchains as legitimate either hedges or stores of value or you know competing effectively to be some component of money however you want to define it according to some you know, standard economic rule sets i think that is something that is quite boring as a thesis but ultimately has higher probability and in a, in a pretty large possible impact from an inflows uh, capital inflows perspective if that gains more traction i would kind of circle back to the brief topic we covered a little bit earlier in this conversation where, um, you know, as related to Iran and how Bitcoin captured, I think, a little bit of that monetary premium in the week or two following relative to what people thought about it before, given the gold-like kind of price action for the, um, you know, event-based uh, reaction to, to those um, particular events. I think if you see more examples of people maybe being willing to hide in Bitcoin versus uh, having exposure to other assets, especially um, in a year where now your you know traditional equity investors are comping thirty uh, percent year over year growth in the S and P last year. I think not everybody is expecting that to repeat, and then you have to think where maybe where do you want to rotate into? 
um, that could potentially offer um, better upside versus the decreased likelihood of another 30% um, growth in, in equities this year, right? I think those are all things that could drive people to at least look at the space. And if you accept that as a given, um, I would argue most people just given um, some element of the Lindy effect and just Bitcoin itself being a pretty good, um, having higher penetration, I think, in the public sphere than, than most other assets in, in, within our world um, that likely, along with the liquidity characteristics and the advent of uh, you know, robust futures and options platforms, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., I think that naturally uh, means Bitcoin will uh, be probably the larger beneficiary of of inflows if the if they happen, right? And I, I'm not saying that I think necessarily that that would happen um, at, on a certain timetable, but if they do happen, I do believe Bitcoin will benefit or certainly keep its um, proportional maybe command of the overall market cap. Because uh, I do think maybe if Bitcoin gets bid up a little too much, there are certainly people that um, already hold some and maybe will be looking to uh, rotate into alts for a little bit of that extra juice as it relates to the expression of that levered Bitcoin beta, which, you know, something we're seeing a little bit here in the second week of January, right? So, yeah. um, you know, TBD, whether this all continues, but uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying if inflows happen, um, you know, I don't necessarily think we'll see, um, you know, dramatic underperformance of Bitcoin. I think it will kind of hold in there within you know, a certain band of um, concentration. Brilliant. Hey, Evan, thank you so much for spending this half hour with us today. Um, you know, if, if we want to find out more information about your fund, uh, where can we direct uh, the good citizens of Crypt Nation here to go to? Sure. Thanks, Bryce. Yeah, you can find out more about me. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Evan the Fung. Uh, Tapestry Capital does have a website is uh, pretty simple, tapestrycapital.fund. And then lastly, if you want to search for me on LinkedIn or Medium, you can just search for my uh, full name, E-V-A-N-F-E-N-G. So um, yeah, if anybody in your audience wants to learn more, get in touch, those are great ways to reach out and I'm pretty responsive generally. So uh, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today. And hopefully uh, it was insightful for uh, you and the audience. Uh, and I really enjoyed it and look forward to keeping the conversation going. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. I know everybody's going to find a ton of value from this. Um, so Evan, till next time. All right. Sounds good, Bryce. Take care. Thanks. Ciao. Crypt Nation, just a friendly neighborhood reminder to go to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free conference pass to the online summit, Crypto 2020 Summit. We got 60 speakers who are giving their bold predictions for prices and bold predictions for uh, technological developments in this crazy crypto space. So if you want to be the first to know the big news and you want to make sure that you're in touch and in tune, go to Crypto2020Summit.com right now and register for free. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.